So let's read God's word together from Mark 4, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Thanks. No, this is God's word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. <laughs> Sorry, I should have warned you about that, but I think it, it marks the reading of God's word as something, something authoritative, something different to all the other bits of information that we receive. Um, so keep your Bibles open there and let me uh, take you back to what you've just imagined and perhaps children you're often drawing pictures and you might want to want to draw pictures of the sower uh, or you might want to draw pictures of a tiny seed in someone's hand or you might want to draw a picture of a massive tree with great big leaves and and fruit and and life and shelter and and you can you can start to imagine what this kingdom is like I said at the beginning I think you're much better at this than the adults will be we're all thinking about where you might plant such a tree and how would it grow and we're trying to figure out the science behind it but but perhaps you can just imagine what it's like jesus wanted to take his hearers into this scene this this familiar scene of just a, a seed growing and becoming a huge tree that becomes shelter for the nations so two parables the first one uh, is that of uh, a, a seed a, a, a farmer that just goes out and sows uh, and what he sows just slowly grows up it, it says in the passage that it all happens by itself perhaps that's where we get the word by the way for automatically it happens automatically it happens all by itself uh, and it's clear in this passage verse 27 it says he knows not how he doesn't know how this happens but it just grows up and then when it's grown up the sickle goes in he harvests what he's sown and he uses it and so that's the first parable, that's the first image that they had to see. The second image they had to see was, uh, was a man standing with his hand open and, and drawing other people closer to come and have a look at what's in his hand. And as they look, they would see the tiniest of seeds in his hand, the mustard seed. Uh, and then he would take the seed and he would plant it in the ground. And if they come back 10, 15 years from then, they will see a massive great big tree that just grew where this tiny little seed was planted. Those are the two images Jesus wants us to see. And, and, and then Jesus says this about these two images. He says, something of these two pictures would give you a sense of what the kingdom of God is like. Something in these pictures would give you a sense of what the kingdom of God is like. So let's just pause there for a moment. This is Jesus' teaching strategy at this moment. You could ask me where I grew up. And I could answer in a word. I could give you the name of the town that I grew up in. It would be one word. 
I don't think you'd be much wiser after I gave you that one word, except if you Googled and Wikipedia it in, and I think you'll be disinformed. It's a wonderful place. Um, but, but that won't help you as much as if I told you what my childhood was like growing up. If I took you back to some of the scenes of my childhood, of, of growing up on a small holding where uh, my older brother and I would have, uh, would have two, we had all kinds of crazy things going on, but we had a motorcycle at some point. At some point, he made a go-kart where the front of the go-kart is made of a Vespa motorcycle and the back of it is a lawnmower. Uh, I could take you back to big, great big uh, um, bonfires that we made in the back backyard. I can tell you about uh, jumping from uh, jumping from the roof of our house onto the grass and rolling to see how high we can can jump off from without breaking anything. Sometimes we did break something and then we would rush to the doctor to go and get it fixed. I could, I could tell you all these stories and, and what would happen once I've told you these stories, you could say, look, I've got a name for where you grew up in. I know the town is called Cloudstorp, but now I've got a sense of what it was like. I, I've got stories that colors it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, what's the kingdom like? He could, he could, he could define the kingdom in a, in a carefully crafted statement. He could tell us exactly what the kingdom is. But instead what Jesus does, he says, let me give you a sense of the kingdom. And he uses these stories. So we need to ask ourselves, what do we learn about the kingdom when we imagine these two scenes? The sower that just sows seed and it grows up. And then he harvests it and another man that plants a tiny seed and becomes a huge tree. What, what are we to learn? What, what are we to imagine about the kingdom as we look at these two things? Now, the first thing we need to imagine, I can't just say it yet because I want you to find it out for yourselves. But I'm now going into my first point, but I'm not giving you the title of my first point because it would reveal what, it, what there is to see. But, but, but you imagine you're in the ancient Near East. It's an agricultural community. As you're walking into Jerusalem or into any of the major uh, centers, you would walk past people sowing and farming and doing agriculture. And, and this would be, I don't know if you remember those days when aircraft kept flying overhead. It doesn't happen all that often now, but it used to happen all the time that it's, it's actually astonishing. There's a hundred ton metal container that's flying in the air creating a huge amount of noise but we don't even look up we don't even notice it after a while because it's so ordinary well in the ancient near east in their society the one thing that was so ordinary was just walking down a road and seeing people sowing and harvesting and doing and practicing agriculture so the one thing that jesus wants us to see well it's hiding in plain sight he wants us to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. And that's my first point. He wants us to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. He wants to draw attention to the extraordinary feature of agriculture. And, and that is that someone plants seed and then all by itself, he does nothing and he just grows. That's what Jesus wants to draw attention to. That somehow the seed that was just planted in the ground just grows. How, how does this happen? And so the Lord says to us, my kingdom, there's something in that picture that is like my kingdom. That, that you don't know how it works, but it somehow just grows. But it's utterly pedestrian. It's utterly normal. It's utterly ordinary. 
There's nothing extraordinary on the outside in agriculture, but at its heart there is this amazing thing that the seed would become a plant. And the kingdom on the outside looks absolutely ordinary, absolutely pedestrian. But at its heart there's something truly extraordinary that happens, that people that are dead in their sin become alive in Christ and they live forever to worship God. And that's the extraordinary thing that's right at its heart. And it's hiding in plain sight. Uh, and, and this is important for us to think of because if I try and apply this, it would mean that we need to set our expectations when it comes to the ordinary work of the kingdom. We need to set our expectations. It is, it is quite, quite tempting for us to think that uh, if it's going to be the work of the kingdom, it needs to be extraordinary. It needs to come with thunder and lightning. It needs to come with goosebumps and smoke. It needs to come with all kinds of great experiences. It needs to be something that's utterly and truly and visibly supernatural and extraordinary. And then, as opposed to that, Jesus just says, just look, just the scene I want you to see about the kingdom is just look at that farmer just sowing his seed. He goes to bed and when he wakes up, things are growing. They just grew. That's what he wants us to see. So it sets our expectations that the kingdom is ordinary, but it grows extraordinarily. And this is particularly helpful for you if, if you are getting a little bit impatient with yourself where you think, well, I thought I'd be further along by now. You know, here we come, hopefully at the end of lockdown, and you ask yourself, have I made the most of the time that I wasn't disturbed by interruptions with people and having to go to work and traveling and all of these things? Have I made the most of the time where I could, I could have studied, I could have read, I could have followed all kinds of online YouTube courses, I could have done all kinds of things, I could have bettered myself in a thousand ways. But actually the work of the kingdom is, is the ordinary work. Um, it's quite funny. I'm not sure Stefani will appreciate my example just now, but I, I peeked into our bedroom last night and, <laughs> and there was just a pile of washing. And there's an ironing board and she is ironing one shirt after another or some trousers. But while she's doing it, she's listening to a podcast. It's an utterly ordinary scene. In fact, if you were a famous artist, it would be an ironic thing to do to, to paint Stefani whilst ironing. It looks like the most ordinary scene you've seen in your life. But as she's listening, something extraordinary is happening. The seed of the gospel is being sown in her heart and she is growing and changing and becoming more like Christ moment by moment. It looks utterly ordinary from the outside, but something extraordinary has happened. If someone, if an alien landed now, this time in Canada Water in London and, and went around visiting all the houses where the church is gathered just now, they look through the window, they say, this looks utterly ordinary. I can just see eight or nine people sitting down who's looking at someone. It just looks utterly boring. But yet something extraordinary is happening. The gospel seed is entering your heart and it's growing. And you don't know how, you don't know how this works, but it's working, it's doing its thing. And so be patient. That's my first application. Be patient with the work of the gospel because it's utterly ordinary. My second application of this first point is be warned, you're not in charge of this process. Uh, we would like to feel that, that, that we can take hold of anything. If I want to improve myself in any way, I've got to buy a book, three easy steps, or if I want to accomplish something, I set my mind to it and I go for it. Uh, and you think, this is how it will work with the kingdom. I'll just, I'll just set my mind to it and I'll accomplish it. 
it's just not the case. You've got to be far more patient with this process because you are not in charge. It says, or Jesus says about the kingdom, the farmer goes to bed, he wakes up and he's grown and he does not know how. And to let you in on a little secret, I spent a good two years of my life writing a little mini dissertation on church growth. And uh, I'm not at all impressed reading what I wrote now, 15 years later, because I think to myself, what underpinned all that I wrote there is that somehow people can be in charge of the growth of the kingdom. Uh, and if you apply certain technical skills and if you do a certain amount of things, a bunch of research and things, then all of a sudden you would create the circumstances under which the church could grow, the kingdom could grow. Well, I don't know how the Lord grew Canada Water Church, but He had and He is. And I don't know how, but He is doing it. I'm utterly powerless in this. I have my job to do and that is to preach the seed and the Lord would bring the growth and so that's really the first part we need to be patient uh, in this ordinary work of the gospel I want to move on to the second parable now but I there's a there's a little bit of a, a seg well not segue but I if I wanted to put some glue between these two passages I, I, I would use John 3 as the glue that would bring these two passages together so let me give you some glue to bring the first parable of the sower and then the things that just grow supernaturally and the tiny seed and the massive tree just give you some glue in the middle and it's a story this is not a parable it's a real story that's taken place it's Nicodemus that came to visit Jesus in the middle of the night and Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee and he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus um, about the kingdom uh, and Jesus answers him in this very strange way he says to Nicodemus Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. So we go from the ordinary to the truly extraordinary. And this is what, what baffled Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, hang on, I'm a grown man. How can I be born again? That's truly mad. I mean, just the idea that my mother should now give birth to me as a, as a grown man. It's, it's ridiculous. And Jesus says to him, but, but, but that's the way of the kingdom. Yes, it's ordinary, but the extraordinary that happens when the gospel comes into your heart, well, it is as extraordinary as it would be for a grown man to be born from his mother. It's extraordinary. And then Jesus says this in verse 8. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This miraculous work of the kingdom this deeply personal, intimate work that happens with individuals? Well, we can't explain it. It is like the wind that comes and it goes and you don't know where it's gone or where it's been, but it produces its effect as people come to faith. How, you might then ask, can I be born again? Perhaps you're listening to this for the first time, listening to Christianity for the first time. Jesus carries on to speak to Nicodemus. He says, well, although the kingdom uses, uh, uh, is, is deeply extraordinary in what it accomplishes, it follows a very ordinary path. And it's the path of a sower, yes. But it's also what Jesus tells Nicodemus. It is also just you receiving our testimony. Receiving our testimony. Paul says, uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, just receive my testimony as the Son of God. Just listen to the words that I've got to tell you. It's really simple. Just sit down. Let me tell you what the kingdom is like. 
And Jesus says, this is the first step. If you want to have this amazing power of the gospel in your life that will bear this fruit, if you want to experience what it means to be born again, just receive my testimony. Just sit down and listen to my, to my testimony. So, that's the end of the first point with a little bit of glue. It's a deeply personal work when the kingdom comes into your life, but it looks extremely pedestrian. When it happens, uh, it produces fruit that has an impact on society. And so the next point I want to make is the little seed. The little seed is tiny, but it produces huge fruit. It starts with an individual, but it eventually changes whole cities, whole, commu whole communities, whole countries, uh, the entire world. It, it has a huge implication. So my second point is simply called, look at the insignificant significance. Look at the meager little mustard seed and the massive tree that comes as a result of it. Just, just look at it and see what you can find out. See the hand, the little seed? It's almost there as you look. And if you sow it, it grows into this massive tree. And there's the paradox. This very small seed can lead to this huge tree. Now, I don't need to remind you that small things can have a huge impact in the world. Perhaps the children, you can think, what is the smallest thing that is currently having a huge impact on the entire world? It's so small that you can't see it. In fact, some people wear masks to keep this tiny thing from other people. But it has a huge impact. Can you think what that might be, Ruben? It's the virus. It's a tiny thing. It's a tiny thing. But it, it's, it's, it's turned the whole world upside down. I was looking for a positive example. I thought, well, what's a positive example? And uh, one of my American friends preached a sermon on this. And for him, a positive example is, it won't be for, for my wife, but it is the history of Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola apparently started with a, a, a doctor, a pharmacist, that produced eight cups of this syrup. That now, I mean, there's billions of liters of Coca-Cola made every day all over the world. Small thing, huge impact. And so, so we can think about small things having a huge impact. This tiny seed having a massive impact. Uh, this seed leads to a tree. Now, let's go back to the passage and see what the passage actually says about this seed and this tree. Because this tree, it's not just about this tree. It's also about the shade that this tree produces. Um, he says here, What can we compare with the kingdom of God? It's like a grain of mustard seed sown, the smallest of the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Tiny seed, massive tree, massive tree, massive shade. That, that's the story that's going on. That's what you need to see. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is this insignificant thing huge, leading to this significant uh, solution to the world's problem, leading to significant shade for the world. Now, I know it's a dangerous thing to say, but if I asked you what is the main problem with the world, you might end up saying things like, well, it's inequality. The problem with the world is inequality. It's poverty. Uh, it's broken economic systems. Uh, it, is, it is injustice. Uh, it is a lack of education or a lack of health care or a lack of uh, sexual freedom. Uh, you can come up with any list of things that you think this is the one thing that's wrong with the world. I think the Bible will say the one thing that's wrong with the world is the tree. 
That's what's wrong with the world. It's the lack of shade. That's what's wrong with the world. It, it is that we are without refuge in a world that is under God's curse. And if you can imagine right at the beginning of the Bible, you remember there was a tree, right? There was a tree. And it is this tree that Adam and Eve, uh, this is a tree that led to, the, uh, to them being, being cast out of the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden they went from the lush protection of the Garden of Eden to the exposed uh, sun, uh, uh, being exposed to wild animals, to suffering, to, to thorns and to thistles. Uh, and they lost the shade as they wandered around. Uh, we see this picture throughout the Bible where, where being beaten down by the sun is a sign of God's judgment, whilst coming into the shade, coming into the refuge is a sign of God's blessing. So what is wrong with the world, I think, is the tree. That's what's wrong with the world. It is because Adam, our first representative, ate from the tree and therefore lost the shade. And every other problem that's come into this world has come because of the curse. Now, that's the beginning of the Bible. Now, the Bible ends again with a tree. I don't know, Stefan, if you can think of the tree at the end of the Bible. Is there another tree? In Revelation, there's another tree. Yeah, so this is what the passage says. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 4, says this. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, you see, this tree at the end of the Bible leads to the healing of all the world's problems. So we, we lose the tree at the beginning of the Bible, we gain the tree at the end of the Bible. The big question that remains is, where is the seed that led to this tree? Where is the seed that led to this tree? John 12, verse 24, Jesus' own words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. The seed is Jesus, the smallest seed, who looked like nothing. He was a carpenter's son born in Bethlehem uh, to an unwed mother with a dubious past. People could not believe when Jesus was teaching with authority as he did because they couldn't bring these two things together. He looks like nobody. And yet the words coming out of his mouth are the words of life. No one esteemed him. They did not think that he's educated. They thought, in fact, he's highly insignificant. And yet he became this significant tree. You might say, hang on, I understand how Jesus was the seed, because if you read the Immaculate Conception uh, in the virgin womb of Mary, you must imagine a seed from God that entered into Mary that, that led to Christ. So I can see how Jesus is the seed, but how has he become the tree? <laughs> it's not that he became a tree. 
it is that he was nailed to one. That is the truth. Galatians 3 would tell us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ, when he was nailed to the cross, was nailed to a tree. And so the curse of God came down on Christ. The curse of God came down on Christ so that he became the tree that once he died, he rose again so that he can produce the yielding for the nations. So that in his shade we can find final refuge, final hiding place. Jesus is the, so the seed that has been sown, that grew. He is the tiny seed that became this great big massive tree. His work is not yet done. And in due time, he will take over the entire created universe and he will unite all things under him because he is the tree that leads to the restoration of all the nations. So what is it that we need to say about all of this? How do you respond to all of this? There's a number of things that we need to say. The first point was that it is the ordinary that leads to the extraordinary. And that is, don't overlook the very ordinary means of this kingdom. It comes through preaching, it comes through podcasts, it comes through fellowship, it comes through the Lord's Supper, it comes through reading your Bible, it comes through singing scriptural songs, it comes through prayer, it comes through ordinary, utterly ordinary things. Then set your expectations right. It does not create goosebumps every time you pick up the Bible. You don't feel uh, lifted and enlightened every time you attend a worship service or you listen to it online. It's utterly pedestrian and ordinary. But God is doing amazing work under the surface, doing the extraordinary. You have no power over this. He is doing it. We can't manage it as leaders of the church or as you're trying to share the gospel with someone who isn't a believer. You can't manage it. You can't manipulate it. You can't, you can't cajole someone into a corner so that they will believe. It is from the Spirit. So, so let's get that right. But then secondly, the second point application is this has an impact on the entire history of the world, of the entire creation. Yes, it's a seed that started small with you responding to the gospel, listening to the testimony of Jesus. But in time, it takes over the entire world. In time, the kingdom of God will be the kingdom under which all kings and rulers will find their being and their place. This tiny mustard seed will become the kingdom uh, that will rule forever and ever. So it is right at this time that we, that we look at Jesus. If we want to understand this kingdom, if we want to live in this kingdom, and with this I want to close, uh, you will understand uh, the kingdom and you will enter into this kingdom. There is uh, this advice from Nicodemus, uh, what Jesus gives to Nicodemus. Nicodemus completely baffled by this kingdom growing extraordinary through the ordinary means, this insignificant seed becoming the significant tree. He's completely baffled by being born again. He's, he's completely confused by it all. And so Jesus wants to make it very simple for him. He says, just listen to my testimony. That's where you need to start. And it's as if he doesn't quite get what he needs to do. And then Jesus finally says to him, look, verse 13, no one, uh, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, that bit of Old Testament history was, uh, uh, was when God sent vipers amongst these people in the desert. 
and they were biting them. They were, they were getting hurt and dying because of it. And Moses was crying out to God and said, please stop the curse. And, and God said, make, make a pole, a wooden pole, and put a golden snake around it. And then when you lift it up, people would look at it. When they look at it, they will be saved and they will be healed. And now Jesus is saying that he too will be on a pole, a wooden pole, a tree. He would be lifted up on that cross. And as he's lifted up and you look at him, you too will be saved. And this is vitally important because Jesus' first parable was telling us about the time of harvest. A time when the sickle will come. And it seems like this world only has two ends. It's either the sickle or the shade. Those are the only two endings to these two parables. It's either the sickle, that is death, or it is shade, which is life. And it depends on you looking at the one that's been lifted up, Jesus Christ, the seed that became the tree, nailed to that tree for our sins. So that I want to close by saying, please look at Christ. Put your faith in this risen Christ so that you too will have the shade and not the sickle. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we ask that as men and women and boys and girls consider the testimony of Scripture, they would avoid the sickle and find the shade. And they would do this by looking at the sun that was nailed to that tree, to that cross, and that they would put their faith in him. Lord Jesus, you are indeed the lightning rod that took God's wrath, God's curse, away from us. You paid the penalty for our sins so that we can live with you eternally. And we pray for those of us that do believe in you, that we will understand that not only are we children of God, but we are children uh, of the new kingdom. We have a Lord, Lord Jesus, under whom we uh, submit. And so as we submit, Lord Jesus, we ask that you will prosper us, you would uh, you would bless us. You would uh, take your church on earth uh, and make uh, your church a fruitful community of people that love you and love one another. Pray, Father, that we will indeed be a tree that will bear fruit for the nations, that men and women and boys and girls would be drawn to the shade of the tree and they too would look at the risen Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to him as they come into the shade. Lord Jesus, we pray for those that do not yet believe in you we know that one day it will look extremely ordinary or pedestrian when suddenly the harvest time comes the judge appears and and he just starts to judge and there will be no denying that you are indeed the judge and then it will be too late to bend the knee and so we pray that people today would not harden their hearts but submit to you as lord and king and we pray this in jesus name amen